would like to thank everybody and would like to thank everybody for being here today. So good afternoon and uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, my name is Brigitte Beltran. I am the US Client Solution Director, uh, Solution Director for Space Matrix and Chair of the Coronet New York City PropTech Committee. So um, just a few updates about Coronet New York City and upcoming events before we start our program. We are going to have the uh, young leader um, who will host on August 1st an event called uh, Career Development with Dale Carnegie. This is uh, for young leaders only. And then on August the uh, 18th, we will have the Women's Leadership uh, Annual Summer Networking event. So hopefully you can join us. And uh, before starting the program, I'd like to thank uh, Carlos Godinez from JLL, who are part of the PropTech Committee, along with Charlie Stevens, who is our moderator today, and our team who put this event together. It's always a lot of work, and uh, I'd like to thank you for the time they put uh, and passion into finding the great speakers uh, for today. So, and I would like to introduce you to Charlie. Charlie Stevens is our moderator today. And Charlie currently leads the New York City Tri-State Partnership at HQO, the premier workplace experience platform for corporate real estate. Charlie is also the host and creator of the Primetime VC YouTube series and the Leaders Live show, where he has interviewed over 250 plus CEOs, tech founders, and VC partners. So Charlie, back to you. Go ahead. Oh, you're on mute. That's the way to kick it off. Some intro, thank you, Brigitte, appreciate it. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to have everybody make sure their, their video's off and they're on mute. I think, uh, Larry, you're potentially not on mute. You could just switch that off before we get started, that'd be great. Um, really excited about today because we have three great venture capitalists who are gonna talk about innovation, technology, what's going on uh, within this prop tech VC market. And they actually come from all over the country, which is great. So we have different perspectives, whether it be Diana in Boston, Safi in New York, or Michelle in SF, West Coast. So I think that will be super helpful. Um, what I will say here is I could do these intros for these amazing VCs, but I think that I'm going to let them do that. Um, bef before we get into the intros i'm going to just ask if you could put some questions into the chat and we will talk uh we'll try to get to them towards the end and we're going to end right around 1 p.m uh right at 1 p.m we're going to be respectful of your time so if you could throughout this please be engaged and feel free to ask any questions if we don't get to them um i'm sure we can follow up and get these questions over to you uh answered as soon as possible so um, technology is always evolving. These are the people who are investing into the technology and innovation in the prop tech sector. We have a lot of end users, whether it be landlord on the landlord side or on the corporate real estate side. Um, and I'm excited to learn and have uh, these, these leaders educate us on what's going on. So why don't we just kick it off and have some intros and talk about yourself, who you are, what your company is and uh, your fund is investing in, what verticals uh, you're focused on, and we could take it from there. We're going to kind of go through the state of the prop tech market and the future as well. Uh, but Diana, I'm going to kick it over to you and feel free to introduce yourself and, and what you're doing and what verticals you're focused on. Sounds good. Thanks, Charlie. Nice to meet everybody. Um, my name is Diana Swenson. I'm with Suffolk Technologies. Uh, we're a venture, a venture fund focused on construction and real estate. Um, kind of how I ended up in PropTech, a uh, very non-traditional way to get here. Um, had a failed startup out of college, 
failed because of marketing and um, and sales, and so got a job in marketing, uh, which led me down a data science rabbit hole, uh, and so worked uh, worked at Dell in data science, and then wanted to get back into startups, and so jumped into um, the the venture capital group at Dell. Um, they they have a great great fund. They invest about two hundred million dollars a year into enterprise software and hardware, but. I had a secret list of IoT and robotics and prop tech companies that, you know, the fund would just never look at. And so um, eventually when it was time to leave, decided to jump into, um, decided to switch into Suffolk Tech and take and make that list, you know, worthwhile. Um, and so I've been uh, with Suffolk Tech for about seven months now. Um, and, and again, investing, investing into the transformation of the built environment as a whole. Um, and so out of out of the investors here, we're probably the most construction focused. So construction first and then going into prop tech uh, and kind of smart buildings. Um, so we invest into early stage companies, pre-seed, seed, series A. Um, and we really try to come in there and help them with product market fit and help them with 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 kind of getting their, their first customers um, under their belt. Um, and then we also run an accelerator program called Boost. Uh, which which also helps uh, early stage companies work with experts in the field for six weeks um, pretty closely. And so, um, you know, and, and I'll, I'll pause there and, and let others uh, do the intros too. Um, it's good to know Boost applications are open for any early stage startups. They are. They are. Check out, yeah, check out the Suffolk Technologies website for that. Uh, Michelle, let's go over the West Coast and introduce yourself and what you're focused on investing in. Hi everyone, my name is Michelle Kaloran. I'm a principal at Omer's Ventures. Uh, Omer's Ventures is a global early stage venture fund. So our checks are typically five to 25 million and we look across all sectors of technology. Uh, I lead our focus on prop tech. So that is anything related to residential real estate, commercial real estate or construction. I've been with the fund for six and a half years now. I started out in our Toronto office. So we are a Canadian headquartered fund. And then about three years ago, I moved out to the Bay Area to help launch our office here. And at that time, we also launched an office in London. That's great. Safi, New York City. Represent. Good go. morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Safi Aziz. I'm a director over here at Metaprop. Uh, before I talk about what Metaprop is, I actually am so glad that we're, that we're all here together because Charlie, our, our great moderator, has a lot to do with the reason I'm in PropTech in the first place. So Charlie, you may not remember this, but, but back in 2018, when I was first getting interested in the category, I attended a networking session. And the very first person I met was you, and you're working on a different uh, media empire at the time. You're working on a podcast series at the time. And the very next person you interviewed was Aaron Block, managing partner over here at Metaprop. And I had commented on the great episode and, and that's how I got on Aaron's radar and through a long series of events. I'm here now uh, at Metaprop. I've been here now for over four years, which is fantastic and, and largely thanks to you. Um, what we do, we are a series pre-seed through series D prop tech fund. Our mandate's extremely broad. We invest in everything from construction tech all the way to insurance tech as it relates to real estate. So people often think of Metaprop as the prop tech index fund, if you will. Um, we dominated the early stage for many years. We began as an accelerator platform ourselves, um, which we still operate today. We have over a hundred investments in our portfolio. Um, so that is me and that is us. 
Very cool. I appreciate the the kind words, Safi. Uh, Safi, I'm going to stay with you right now, um, and we'll swing back around. But sectors that you see in prop tech that are are hot, um, that people are investing in today. You know, th this change day to day, and technology moves so fast. So this can change within six months pretty quickly. But what are some of the hot sectors that you like to call out and that you see kind of evolving right now? You're totally right that technology changes every day, but luckily real estate does not change every day. So the same sort of categories that um, we were investing in, you know, at the origination of our fund are still the same sort of categories that we're investing in today. I'll call out residential first. Um, it was kind of the, the uh, asset class that led the prop tech wave in the first place. And it still remains to be top of mind uh, for investors, especially ourselves today. So two of our first investments out of our newly minted growth fund, that's our series B through series D fund are actually in the residential space, specifically property management. We invested in a company called Latchel, which automates maintenance calls and provides tenants uh, proactive services in terms of cleaning and emergency services. Um, on the commercial side, it's, you know, which may be more relevant to this audience, uh, we have taken a look at everything over the years uh, from tenant experience, uh, HQO, Charlie's employer right now, uh, is been a, has been a, a great commercial uh, position for us. It's interesting to see that there's been a resurgence in the workflow side of things in the commercial sector, uh, perhaps it's influenced by the, the, the recent uh, kind of COVID and pandemic inspired uh, office changes, but um, we're seeing a new cohort of companies tackle, you know, very low hanging fruit ideas around virtual leasing and asset management. So, uh, for example, a company like uh, Occupier comes to mind, which which Omers and Metaprop are co-investors in going after uh, leasing for occupiers. Um, we recently came across another company called Dotted that's trying to kind of take some of VTS's lunch. So it's great to see that there's these kind of new cohort of companies tackling, um, trying to improve upon basic processes in, in the real estate world. Um, and, and there are now customers, more customers than ever that are willing to, uh, to take a stab at it. Um, even, even more niche than that is like, there's workflow solutions now for, for everything, which is great. So we invested in a company called Aldoa, which is providing much of the same workflow solutions as, as, a, as an occupier or a VTS is, but trying to do it for environmental consultants, trying to support their day-to-day their -day workflows. So it's really quite fascinating to see just the kind of, you know, spectrum of opportunity that still remains in prop tech. Ideas that seem to be done and dusted are still starting to see a second and third wave. So it's been a fantastic time to invest. That's great. Michelle, what do you what are you seeing with the hot sectors and you're investing kind of in the later stage? So I guess the ones that are kind of getting some more traction. Um, but what are your thoughts on this? I also think of it as the three buckets in different areas in them. So the first one, uh, residential, I think the theme that we've seen in the past couple of years, which is very prevalent, is around the merging of fintech and prop tech. So this is helping people through providing alternative financing options to own homes. This is an area we are particularly interested in. So you'll see companies that provide down payment assistance. There's companies that do home equity. They kind of take, take equity in your home and give you cash. There's rent to own models. Like we're, we strongly believe in 
the path to ownership is a great way of wealth generation long-term, but it's harder than ever to purchase a home. So there's a wave of companies that came out, especially in the last probably like five, five plus years around this challenge or, or pain point. Um, one to note is we invested in a company called Landed, which is down payment assistance for essential workers. So they will split the down payment with you to enable these people, especially teachers, for example, to live near where they work. Uh, and then they would share in the change in value of the home over time. On the commercial real estate side, um, Occupier, which is already mentioned, is, is one of our most recent investments. And that came out of our thesis that we built around the commercial real estate transaction and the transparency around data. Right now, it's super siloed. The brokers have information. Um, the owners have some information. CoStar has information. There's a lot of information buckets, but everyone's trying to figure out um, how to streamline it and how to make these transactions more transparent. And what Occupier does, which is really unique, is they empower the, the company. So the, the occupier, the tenant, um, the retail owner, the um, healthcare clinic provider with all of the data. So they actually have the power to make the decisions because they're able to look across their entire portfolio. Uh, so we're pretty excited about that. So transparency. And then in the construction space, I'm, I'm echoing similar. It's, it's really about workflow automation. I mean, this is an industry that we are fascinated about. We actually um, partnered with Turner Construction on an entrepreneur in residence program where we are working with uh, people who wanna start companies to help them find an idea and really match it to a real pain point in the industry. Uh, because for example, we see a lot of opportunity around different types of workflow that are still very manual today, Excel, paper, humans, and there's huge opportunity for software to really uh, have a large impact there. That's great, very helpful. Uh, Diana, what what do you got over there? Hot sectors. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll keep going with the automation uh, piece, right? Uh, I would I would echo that it, it's it's not just the digitization of workflows, but it's also just automation of labor and expertise. So, so on the construction side, like we're invested uh, in in a couple of robotics companies. So, for example, Canvas, which is a drywall finishing robot, right? So, so trying to automate some of the some of the very labor-intensive processes um, that you know could could be automated, um, and, and same goes for obviously like digitization tools as well. So we invested in a company called Pulley, for example, uh, which is trying to digitize the construction permitting process and make it more collaborative and more involved, right? So it's not just a um, a long process at the at the end of which you get rejected, but but you know uh, a more streamlined way of working. Um, so, so that's that's definitely a big, big push for us. I would say probably 60% of companies we look at it some some shape of shape or form touch automation in some ways. Um, the other big thing I think is just the the infusion of data into the space. So finally, we're getting to a point where um, you know some of the IoT sensors you know can actually get data, and you can maybe get to or at least in the future get to like more of a dynamic management of facilities where you can. Um, you know, control your HVAC system from from a single room um, type, you know, that type of workflow. Um, and, and the data piece kind of flows into a lot of other other companies as well. So, for example, insurance as well. So integrating with all these um, commercial management systems and then what does that do? What does that help you do with, uh, you know, from, 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 from financing of your buildings or how, how you're running the building, for example? Um, and then last thing, and, and Safi was kind of touching on that too, is just anything that touches kind of ESG and sustainability, right? So we're finally seeing that um, a lot of the governance pieces are getting worked out in a way that um, 
you know, people are starting to pay attention to it and, and actually starting to see benefits. And so there's definitely companies that are, um, are, are working on different pieces of it, right, from materials, for example, to, um, uh, to, to even like blockchain uh, applications in, in sustainability, right? And so there's definitely a lot of push for, for different ways of, of, of getting to a better, better way of, of managing buildings um, and, and, and decreasing the carbon footprint there. So that's great. And I want to also just remind people if anybody wants to know more about these verticals or if we want us to dig into it a little bit deeper towards the end, the ESG, the automation workflow, just put it in the chat and we'll try to touch on that and try to get some either names of companies that you're interested in or something like that. But um, feel free to throw some stuff in the chat. Uh, Michelle, I'm going to I'm going to come over to you now and just talk about the current state of PropTech. This is the name of the of of the the whole lunch and learn, I guess, so to speak, state of the market, right? Uh, macro, it's been pretty crazy. It seems like the whole world's coming to an end. But on the VC side, you see a lot of the investments. Is it slowing down? Like, what is the current state of prop tech and investing uh, that you're seeing on your end? There's definitely been a slowdown on the later stage deals that we're seeing, like just people coming out to market to raise. So this would be series B, B and C. I would say the past three to four months, there has been a lot less activity on the later stage. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. So one is that a lot of really high quality companies raised a lot of capital last year. Um, it was a very busy year. A lot of people got funded uh, and they're at the point right now where valuations are a bit uncertain, why not wait it out? So if you have capital for say into 2024, I think we're seeing people just kind of heads down, build, maybe uh, reduce some headcount to extend the runway a little bit more, but not actively going out to raise. I think second is we're seeing that companies that do need to raise at that stage, if they have traction and they're doing really well, a lot of the inside investors are, are just putting up the money. So they're doing inside rounds because they have a lot of confidence from their board. They have existing investors that have extra capital. So we're also seeing that happen a lot where they may not be going out just to to meet a bunch of VCs, they're doing it internally. Um, and I think that that's been, that's kind of a, a unique thing for the later stage. Um, early, so I mentioned like where we're at, we kind of start at the A. There is still activity at the Series A um, from like, I'd love to hear from some of the others, but I've also seen a lot more activity at the seed still as well. So seed's still busy. Valuations may be coming down a bit from where they were, but there's still activity happening there. And, and if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Like these companies, um, their runways are pretty short, like they're raising every six to 12 months anyway. So they, they have a lot of opportunities to grow if they did have some capital to expand their team. So I think we're seeing, um, still activity there, but the valuations are just come, come down a little bit. That's great. Safi, um, talk about the state of the market and we're talking early stage seed, I think on your end too, in New York, which just, just to be very specific with that, I mean, what, $250,000 investment to, Two, three million, or you tell me, is that about right? Right on the money, right on the money. So while we do primarily invest in the early stage, we are doing everything from pre-seed to, to, to series D now. Um, but we can we can speak about we can speak about the early stage for a moment, just because that's where a lot of the action still remains. What we've observed is that the number of pitches, right? The, the volume is still there, right? But the deal pace overall has certainly slowed down. 
you may see the same thing happening in the real estate market, right? We're, we're spending more time on each deal. We're spending more time with each founder. We've always been a um, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Measured in our diligence approach, not trying to let the kind of currents take us where they will. But the name of the game in the past couple of years in the venture space has been pace, right? You got, you got a sprint every single time. It's, it, it's almost always a sprint. Um, but, but now because of this more investor-friendly market, we do get to kind of slow down and, 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 and look at each company with a fresh pair of eyes. Um, statistically, right, CB Insights estimates that there is going to be a 20% reduction in deal count quarter over quarter. And we're definitely witnessing that. Um, in, in our shop alone, while we may have been doing a deal and a half a month uh, before, before this uh, market correction, we're probably now doing closer to a deal a month. Um, so so it, we're definitely matching the, uh, the, the, the outside world, mirroring the outside world in that regard. Great. Diana? Yeah, I would, I would echo what, what Safi just said. I think there's definitely a little bit of a slowdown and like and in, and in, in, in just slower pace of deals. I think there's 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 still a lot of activity, um, but I think part of it is that um, there's the, the bar is just set a little bit higher versus before. It was all about is your growth story. How are you going to get there? Now you want to see a bit more, you know, solid numbers. You want to see a really functional business model. And I think a lot of VCs that's kind of what they're looking for, even even at the earlier stage. Um, I think there's a little bit of hesitation on the VC side because of the uncertainty to to maybe price rounds because there's you know there's just um, you know unknowns. There's there's a lot of unknowns, but um, you know what what we what we're really seeing is yes. So, so like some of the early stage valuations have come down. They haven't come down all the way to kind of like normal levels. Let's put it like in, like from 2016, but but they're still they're 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 a bit lower. Um, I think you know, depending on how the economic situation will shake out, you're going to start to see some uh, investor-friendly terms maybe creeping back into she, uh, term sheets. Um, haven't seen that yet, um, but but it, it might be it might be coming as well. So, um, so so yeah, so so definitely definitely seeing 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 a lot of activity, but but it's 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 slightly affected by by what's going on. To just to stick on the state of the market and thinking that the end users, again, landlords or corporate occupier heads of real estate are on, on this listening in. Uh, is there, and this is me kind of going off script a little bit, but is there more of an opportunity for them to take a pilot on with one of these early stage, you know, startups or whatnot? Or like how, how, how would you think that they should look at this, whether it be implementing a pilot or, you know, how do you see them taking advantage uh, of this market or, you know, kind of looking at it with this market in, in the lens that you, I guess you look at it? And, I, and this is open to anybody. Diana, you, you want to get started? Sure. I, I can also yeah, yeah. My, my response to that is, is if, if a startup can get funded in this environment, they're probably very very good right so from a from a from kind of if you're choosing a technology and they're funded in this environment i would, I would take a look at them take a closer look at them because it's um it, it they, they are hopping through a higher again that higher bar um to to get to um to prove out their technology and so they're probably you know worth worth uh, attention cool cool um macro themes we were talking about like uh prop tech 
companies you're investing in that you're seeing five to 10 years on and, uh, you know, on a larger scale. Um, what are you seeing essentially on the macro themes across the world and prop tech? Um, Safi, you want to kick this one off? Sure thing. Before I do, though, Diana actually inspired a thought given Go your ahead. last question. I think I think your last question is, is really spot on and important to the group. So I just want to focus in on it for a moment. Um, when we advise our, our, our real estate partners, so, so for context, I, I failed to mention this in my introduction, but we advise our, our limited partners with a variety of things, including innovation strategy, corporate development, and corporate venture activities. So you can think of that as pilots, tests, investments, being a big part of it. And we often um, weight every company that, that we bring, bring to them through the funnel um, one of the one of the uh, standards is um, stability, quote unquote stability. How much money do they have in the bank? How long has it been since their last round? I think uh, Diana's point is fantastic that if they're able to raise in this environment, even if they are an earlier stage company, that means they they got something going for them. And we actually just witnessed that in a, in a in a in a bake off we did uh, just a couple of days ago in which we had a, an incumbent that's been around for, for, for quite some time, has relevant customers, um, but this, uh, this, this younger company, it's only been in market for about 18 months, you know, almost was immediately written off until we looked at, hey, they're able to raise you know, pretty, pretty um, uh, heavy round in, in this environment. And so I think, um, you got to pay attention to stability. How much runway do they have in the bank? Ask those questions about when's the last time you raised? How much was it? Who did you raise from? That will give you an inclination of how long they're going to be um, kind of surviving uh, in this environment and, and should influence your decision about whether to, to, to take them on a pilot or, or not. Um, yes. And Charlie, can you remind me what your what your Yeah, we're talking about macro, macro trends. Uh, I think I said themes, but macro trends of what's going on in the market, I guess, again, with the companies you're investing in or decks or people you're talking to within this ecosystem, um, you know, what are some of the macro trends that you see continuing to evolve and, and stick around? So if I'm getting your question right, you're kind of thinking about more so um, kind of kind of macro kind of societal trends. You know, we, we've been in such a wild time um, uh, so much of human behavior has changed therefore real estate has to adapt to it i think uh it's clear now as we're kind of coming out of this um out of this pandemic that remote work is here to stay and i know that this is a topic of discussion that that we've been that we've been discussing for the past uh, two to three years but i think it has deeply influenced our pipeline, right? The companies that I mentioned earlier, especially on the residential side, especially on the single family side, of course, right? As, as remote work has had uh, us in our homes for longer, has us in short-term rentals for longer, has us going to short-term rentals in places we wouldn't have normally spent time in uh, for that remote work. And our, and our pipeline reflects that. So right now we have a company that is an all-in-one hub for home finances. Another platform is helping investors manage and buy, operate single family at scale. And another that's trying to do the same exact thing, but for short-term rentals, right? So this kind of remote work wave 
has been having ripple upon ripple effects. Um, and it's and it's and we're seeing at the earliest of stages in the venture world. Michelle, um, and again, macro trends, I guess you could also throw in like the technology that's helping this evolve. Uh, ESG is one that we talk about a lot, just as we have a global footprint and where does it make sense to see the leaders come from from a technology perspective. And Europe in this case is a lot further along. So I'm curious to see, like more curious when you're thinking about ESG is what technology solutions can come out of it that may the, maybe the U.S. is not leading. Uh, and I think that we're, we have a team there and it's, it's just one of the areas where I think some of the trends, depending on the different geographies, uh, we'll see different accelerations of innovation. So that's one area where even in the U.S. we're trying to figure out, like, is this five years away from mass adoption, 10 years away? Like, do we even know what, what it's going to look like? Um, so that's one we're spending a lot of time on. And then second is what's unique about real estate is the cyclicality, which creates new products in different markets. So I mentioned these alternative financing products to help people purchase homes. I think we're going to see a wave right now of how do people move from one home to the other when you have a low locked in interest rate. So I think we're going to see brand new products emerge there around movement and mobility where like maybe you, you can't because what you've locked in in the past couple of years for 30 for a 30 year fixed um, prevents you from wanting to move. And but like we know that um, your home is an investment, but it's also a very emotional purchase. It's near a school. It's near work. Like there's so many other factors. So I think things like this will drive a new wave of fintech prop tech products. Um, granted, there's a lot of regulation here, so there's a lot of unknowns, but I just from conversations the past couple of weeks, like it's come up multiple times. Very cool. Diana? Yeah, I, I agree with kind of everybody that's like everything that's been said. I will add, uh, you know, like there's there's going to be a push for uh, for more connectivity. So with the 5G rollout, hopefully we get there soon. But I think that's going to enable so many more use cases across the board. Um, including, like, like I mentioned already, like dynamic facilities, right? Like, and, like and that connectivity, getting all these sensors that we've been told that are going to be helpful to actually function the way they're supposed to function, um, right? And that's going to, that's that, like, the connectivity piece is crucial to making that happen. And so, so to the extent that that gets rolled out, like, that's going to be really, really core. Um, and then I think, yeah, just just uh, just to me mention that again, but but anything that touches data, right? Like actually getting insights from from functioning uh, commercial buildings, but also infusing that technology into other services like the fintech services or insurance or whatever, um, to 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 gain more insights and get better, um, you know, just better processes around all all of that, all of those workflows. Great. How about, um, I guess, trends going forward? If you had a crystal ball, and I'll stick with you, Diana, I mean, what, what do you what do you think in, is going to be something special and it's going to be that buzzworthy type of investment vertical that all these, you know, real estate uh, professionals are going to be talking about in the next five to 10, 15 years? Um, well, in the in the next five years, I think, um, and I'm curious to, to hear what what the other panelists will think about it. But I think I do think there's going to be some valid blockchain applications that we're going to see in the space, um, and, and they're going to find some success in the real estate world. And, and it seems to be, uh, you know, and maybe paired with like something like carbon credits or something like that. 
Um, I think we're probably going to get better around the digital twin um, area and kind of digitizing more of that and actually getting better, uh, better in terms of managing all that stuff. Um, and uh, and I think I think just tenant experiences, uh, you know, will will get better as well. So so in terms of what people want, uh, kind of digitizing a lot of a lot of those um, uh, again, just experiences and putting them online versus versus having some of them um, offline. Um, that that's going to be a huge huge transformation. I agree with you with the tenant experiences. All right, <laughs> hey, Michelle, how about yourself? The crystal ball in the future. What's going on? 10 years out, I think we're going to see a lot more traction and adoption around robotics. Uh, I think like there's so much opportunity there, um, but we're still very early days. So I'm expecting to see a lot more, especially in the built environment on robotics. And then more broadly, I think we're now we're trying to figure out like how to think about space. Not, not space space, but like office space or retail space. I'm not going that far, um, but uh, like, what does it mean? Um, and I think mixed use space or transforming spaces into different use cases. I think we're gonna see a lot of that going forward. And that hasn't, we don't have a lot of experience there on like what that technology will be doing to maximize basically the output or value of an asset by being able to change it. And I think we're still like that back to the office. I think everyone has different views there of like how much remote work will stay versus the office. And even in other asset classes like retail, like how much of the in-person versus the e-commerce and how do you make that flow? So I think there's gonna be this whole class of companies that are making the space used in a more effective way than it is today. Cool, Safi. So the issue with going last here, Charlie, is that Diana and Mitchell already had already ran through my list, but but I can I can I can definitely um, uh, echo a lot of their ideas. So I think um, the, the 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 programming of space has been huge for us recently. I mean, we've always believed in kind of this. Um, I guess you can call them the the, the tech enabled tenants, right? So we have a company called Tend. Uh, no, sorry. We have a company, our pipeline called Tend, that is that is doing a kind of a kind of the new dentist office. We have a company in our portfolio called Everbody, which is the new dermatology office. We have uh, Saltbox in our portfolio, which is co-working meets industrial, right? So these new sort of tenant types um, are, are are really interesting uh, for lots of different reasons. But more recently, our real estate partners have been asking us. We have vacant spaces in X asset class, what do we put in it? And it's been um, more frequent than, than before the pandemic. Uh, so these, this cohort of companies are primed really, really nicely uh, for, the next, for the next five, five years, uh, I, I believe. Another thing that may be a little bit different than, than what my peers mentioned is, I think we're gonna finally get to a point of ESG in a box is the closest way that I can call it. Um, and it's going to be these kind of fully vertically integrated sustainability companies that are doing everything from reporting to real-time energy management um, to being able to actually source, you know, potentially uh, sustainable materials for you. Um, I, I, I think that that's where the world is, is really moving, both from a demand perspective, but also from a kind of latent supply perspective, there's been cohorts of companies, dozens upon dozens in each one of these verticals 
that are all tackling the, 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 the looming decarbonization and sustainability problems. And I think in about the 10 year time frame, we're gonna finally start to see like kind of those, those, those mega companies really attack this problem effectively. Let's stick with ESG because all three of you brought that up, right? So I'm, I'm actually curious to dig, dig a little bit deeper on the ESG aspect of it. And I think a lot of the people on this call touch on that too. And I, I'm just curious of what on the ESG side is real and what should we be looking for, at even hyper-specific with shouting out a company or how it's uh, a real use case uh, applicable today that people should be looking out for. But Michelle, why don't you start? We'll kind of go back around on ESG and real specifics on it. For me, it's it's a lot of the environmental and climate focus of the discussions I've been having. So that's with owners or contractors is what is the data that you need to collect? Because um, a lot of companies have said they've made large goals for the future, but now we need to figure out how do you get there? Are they reasonable? Are you on track? So I think at first it's just a lot of data collection that maybe we haven't collected in the past. Um, but I'm still trying to figure out in, in the learning mode largely on is this technology, is this services, is it consulting still? Like where are we at in that uh, transformation? From a company startup perspective, there are a few that, that are on the later stage. Like there's companies like Measurable that are very well known. But I would say a lot is still very early that I've met is it almost more at the seed stage, uh, which is a little bit early for where we like to invest. So I'm almost curious in the relationship building aspect there as they progress and get traction to kind of get into our lens of where we invest. So I've, I haven't seen as much as I thought I would so far in this space, but it could be my stage. Diana? Um, yeah, yeah. So, so for, for us, um, you know, we we talk a lot about embodied carbon because we are kind of early, like like in construction in, in the construction space too, right? So, so what is um, what what can we kind of reduce um, it, once like before the building gets delivered and is fully operational, right? And so, what does that carbon footprint look like? And so, so for us, we um, you know we'll, we'll look at like new materials, for example. So, like concrete being one of the one of the most um, um, carbon heavy products, for example. So there's a, a, a lot of startups now trying to solve and kind of figure out what is what is what is green cement and, and how can we reduce the footprint there? Um, or even like recycling materials on job sites, right? There's a lot of waste that, that goes with it. So how can you remove it? Um, so that's kind of the embodied carbon piece. And then um, and then again, like just better uh, energy management um, going forward for for buildings. And that that can be uh, you know, that can be with tools like software and SaaS applications, but it, it can also be new materials and just better, uh, better, better methods and, and, and how you put the building together. Um, um, and then in terms of like the, the ESG in the box and, and all that stuff, there's definitely a lot of companies, too, that are tracking and measuring a lot of this, a lot of these um, things. I think there's. Um, I, th I think it just has to find an application where it's not uh, just another data entry point uh, that you have to collect. It has to do something. It has to provide some sort of an insight or, you know, help you control your HVAC system. So, like, to the extent that um, these companies are able to provide kind of an end-to-end -end solution, um, I think that's that's where they'll kind of start getting some traction. Safi, specific ESG? Yeah, you got it. So... Those big categories that I mentioned earlier, reporting, I think Measurable has, has really taken the lead there. Um, we've heard 
great customer feedback. Some of them being our, our, our own real estate partners, which is great. Um, you, you, can't, you can't fix what you don't measure, right? So I think that's a really great place to start for those on the call that may be, that may be interested in, in getting their kind of a sustainability strategy up to snuff. I think um, in the energy management space, which probably is a second low hanging fruit um, on this journey, is the um, we have a, we have two companies in our portfolio that may be relevant and, and, and are proven out. So so one is Enertiv, and the other one is Switch Automation. Um, they're both kind of tackling the sort of same sort of ideas, being able to track your your boilers, your chillers, your HVAC system, seeing what's working optimally, see where there's opportunities for improvement. And then, in, especially in Switch Automation's case, programmatically um, lowering your energy expenditure over time, which is, which is what we all really want. And I would say the last one that has been very impressive, we're not investors in it, but um, in terms of the decarbonization, um, and, and uh, you know, sustainable materials area, Carbon Cure has been interesting, um, the, the way that they're uh, basically, um, basically taking uh, uh, carbon out of the atmosphere um, and, 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 and locking it into, into cement um, is, is, is fascinating. And we're also starting to see some, some great conversations emerge in our, in our real estate group. So those are a few of the big areas to look at further and maybe some of the companies to start your journey with. That's great. Uh, I will remind, we have about 15 minutes left. We have some great people on this call. So I really love just to hear some uh, questions from them because they are the end users that they're the ones dealing with this. I, I could go all day with questions. So that don't stop me, but please insert any questions because I think it'll be super valuable to engage with them. Um, back to work is obviously super important trying to, whether it be on any side, right? Landlord, your, your employees, your employers, whatever it may be, but back to work uh, technology companies or, or like what type of trends are you seeing uh, on the investment side that is helping either employers get people back to work or, or landlords engage with their companies to get back into the office? That trend is obviously super important in today's age. Um, anybody who wants to kick it off, uh, on this, please jump in. Uh, I think in this market specifically, I think the conversation has shifted a little bit uh, from what I'm seeing around some of the earlier stage companies is people are starting to look at the office expense and decide, is this discretionary now? So in this market, people are trying to extend their runway. Uh, so that means lowering their burn and lowering their expenses every month. Um, and one of the things that's come up, and I did a poll actually on this, is are because of the macro environment and costs, are you reconsidering opening an office? And I, the, actually the results were like 50-50, which was surprising. And I think this is an area that is very unique because I would say before COVID office was never considered a discretionary cost. So I've been talking to a lot of companies about it and like, what does this mean? Because my, my view personally is that the decision about an office should not be based on cost because like an office is part of your strategy, your culture, how you plan to build, who you're hiring. I think it's a lot bigger than cost and granted remote is not free. I mean, there, there's also offsites, there's in-office setups, there's a lot of travel. So I'm cautious about companies wanting to think about this decision um, just from a cost perspective, which I think because we proved during COVID that you don't need an office per se to be productive, um, 
maybe like we're not considering it as more of a strategic decision. So I've been having a lot of conversations with founders on this topic. And I would say most that I've talked to you do see it in that way, but I, I just want to make sure that people aren't being too short-sighted on too open or not. Safi, you want to go? Absolutely. So Charlie, I had to be clear about definitions. Uh, back to work. We've all been working, right? It's, we're questions about the back, back to office, right? And um, I think HQO is a fantastic example of something that can potentially link the, the I guess, the, the office user to wherever they are working remotely. Um, I think that was kind of, um, it, it was a surprising but welcome finding for us when we were deep in in the middle of the pandemic and looking at the performance of our of our uh, of our portfolio, the 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 tenant facing technologies actually saw you know great performance numbers in in in, in those quarters because I think it was a it was a wake up call for landlords that they still need some sort of connectivity with those that are using their building, even if they're only using their building for a, a small percentage of time to keep them aware of, of what's going in and, and, and around the building. I think it just makes the asset come to life. And I think that landlords are gonna be taking a more holistic approach to, to providing reasons to come back um, it, you know, and, and making it truly worthwhile, right? It's not just a, a, a discount at the coffee shop on the first floor. It's, it's also programming. Um, and a lot of the ideas for new amenity types that, you know, maybe have come out back in 2017, 2018, that may not have made it, may have an opportunity to make it this time around on the other side of the pandemic. So that's kind of how I would be looking at back to work or back to office opportunities. Diane, you got you have a thought on this? Yeah, yeah. Real quick, I would just say that you know, as companies think about coming back, you know, there's there's a bit of like COVID hangover too. I think that they need to need to pay attention to because if people are coming back, or if if you do have people coming back into the office just so they can sit on Zooms all day with people somewhere else, like that's not that's not necessarily helpful, right? And so. Um, so, so, so I, I echo Michelle's comment too that your office is your culture, um, and and so there is there is a lot of you know strategic questions you may be you may you may want to ask your teams and and you might improve your spaces based on what kind of an experience you want your employees to have so that they do engage in the workplace and don't just sit on Zooms um, and just take virtual calls all day. Yeah, engaging the employees that's great. We we just got a, a a bunch of questions all at once, which is good. Uh, Nikisha uh, has asked, have you seen an increase in startup developing biophilic systems for the built environment to compete with firms like Nava? This is a super specific question. So if anybody wants to jump in here. Um, I, I, I haven't seen maybe Nava competitors specifically, but we have seen um, a a couple startups and kind of just air purification and tracking what does the condition of the space look like. Um, and, and it's kind of TBD on, on traction and, and, and kind of their growth there. But it is, I think it is something that employers are looking at as potentially creating nice and, you know, welcoming spaces for for the tenants that that inhabit their, their buildings. 
I can speak on HVAC optimization, HVAC improvements overall. Uh, we did a lot of work on this with our real estate partners um, towards the beginning of, of COVID. This is another space that's just like energy management where there's a large cohort of companies on, on, on their maturity journeys, some have product market fit, some, some that don't. I would say that this was very much top of mind uh, for, for folks um, earlier on, but as things have subsided a, a bit and um, rates are going down, it's become less of a priority for them. Um, so I, I would say overall in the startup, I wouldn't really see an increase in startups developing um, kind of like HVAC optimizations. We've seen a lot of living wall companies kind of come and go um, in this time as well. So I know it's not directly answering your question about Nava competitors, but it was more so top of mind about two years ago and probably less top of mind now in my perspective. Michelle, you could answer this or we have one on the metaverse development and yeah. is connecting remotely. Uh, we have a few questions in that chat box, but go ahead, Michelle. I'm going to jump to the metaverse question. Uh, so what the VC market is seeing in terms of metaverse development and the ideas of not just connectivity with remote workers, but also as a tool for equality and inclusion. Uh, so this is when Safi and I have talked about the metaverse uh, in detail and, and what people are thinking about it. This is a unique case where I would say that traditionally, traditional real estate is behind frontier tech. So AI, even IoT, I think uh, is behind. I think these are things we don't talk about that much or we're just starting to, to really think about. So metaverse though has come up a lot. And we've heard this concept um, from traditional owners and other traditional players of what do, what do we think? Do we need a strategy here? And I think it's unique in a way where you're not really expecting um, that they would be the first movers. And I think that there's a lot of opportunities around it, but I would say it's still, my opinion is that it's still very early to make big bets here uh, from like moving your office fully into the metaverse or even picking, picking a world that you want to invest in specifically. I think there will be something around assistance around a hybrid model of work. So there will be some type of virtual in-person to make the hybrid model work, but I haven't seen a lot there yet, but I've seen a lot of people talking about it would be my, my, my two cents. So for the sake of time, Diana and Safi, you could feel free to jump in with any of these questions. And we got one around uh, asset protection. So disruptions in that. And then a, a really good question. Are there uh, any difficult problems that you wish someone was working to solve? But I'll let you two kind of take it from here. Or metaverse. I'll just I'll just pile on the metaverse piece um, and 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 so so one of the things I've seen right is um, is just companies looking maybe not moving into the metaverse wholeheartedly but but using it as like another type of asset that that is at their disposal so for example like a Nike opening up a store in the metaverse and and there's certain companies now where you don't have to pick a particular metaverse and you can kind of do them all and kind of see which one works the best right but it's it is kind of a fascinating thing to think about because it's like a brand new type of asset that might potentially be um be be out there for for people to manage and and, uh, and explore go ahead safi i uh i want to actually uh pivot the, the metaverse question into 
more so like a broader Web3 conversation, which some on the call and some of the panelists know that I'm very passionate about and have written and, 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 and spoke a lot about in the past couple of months. When, when uh, folks come to us and talk about metaverse, I often find that they're often really asking about like, what do we do with this whole Web3 wave and the, the toolkit that's been developing uh, within and where does real estate fit in all of this? And I think for those on the call, I would look a lot into the quote unquote kind of crowdfunding uh, category about this, the syndication and, and, the, and the financing space. It's one of the few areas we're actually seeing some commercial adoption, some commercial activity get involved here, whether it's setting up assets on these platforms or contributing funds to these platforms. I think that looking at Web3 and its overlap with the built environment may be more impactful and relevant today than looking at virtual worlds to complement your physical portfolio. I see them as completely different uh, technology types, actually. Um, while Web3 enables both, I think that real estate has a lot more room to run in the in the built environment um, component of that. So those are just my two cents as we're on the subject. Um, I personally don't have a lot of experience in asset protection um, myself. So I'll, I'll, live, I'll, I'll have Diana or, or, or Michelle take that one. Any thoughts on the asset protection, Michelle? Uh, I haven't spent a lot of time here either. I think cybersecurity is one that is starting to come up a little bit more, but I haven't dug in here. Diana, asset protection before we go to the last one. No, let's, uh, yeah, no, not not too much. No, haven't spent too much time there either. All right, so I'll stick with you, Diana. Just yep. are there any difficult problems that you wish someone was working on to solve? Um, I think, I, I think, you know, not not a particular problem, but just again the idea of automation because there's a lot a lot of work to do there. Um, Michelle mentioned uh, robotics, for example, in the next ten years. I think we're seeing some early traction um, of those. So, so I, obviously, so, so we're investors in Canvas, for example. We're investors in a company called Rugged as well that does robotic layout, um, right? So we're seeing early traction for these companies of automating certain pieces of the aspects of, of, of building buildings, and so it's it's super exciting to to kind of have those solutions actually work um, because it does increase productivity, right? And and the the you know, it enables us to build faster, which is ultimately what we want to get to, um, I think, as, as an industry as a whole. So um, so I think just the whole piece of automation in general is is kind of a big a big thing for for us to to solve for. Um, I'll pause there. Safi, what do you got? This is a tough question, but one of the categories that Metaprop is getting really passionate about is alternative, what we'll call alternative clinker and low clinker uh, cement, which will help decarbonize concrete, which is the most widely used and often the, the, the most um, impactful material on, on, on the world. Uh, so we, we looked at the space from kind of a first principles approach not too long ago and looked at all of the different ways that you can chemically make up uh, new concrete. And so I'd be getting a little in the weeds, 
um, but there's but there's ones that they could potentially use magnesium that will uh, drastically lower the footprint of of concrete um, on the built world, and it's very much still in the R and D experimental phase, academic papers and the like. Um, and I would love to see a startup, you know, be able to kind of come out swinging and 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 and, and really uh, prove out the concept that this could be used in the built world. Very interesting. Michelle, difficult problems? Was he I would go with the housing shortage. Uh, just anything, any companies really going after building homes and making that more affordable or helping with any of the other barriers to more housing. Great. Uh, as we wrap it up, I just wanted to ask all of you one last question. What's the best way uh, anyone on this call or can keep in contact with you, not just your email, but maybe if you're writing papers or if you're coming out with uh, con content or uh, evolving what's going on in, in the market? What's what's the best way? Michelle, why don't we stick with you? Uh, very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So you can find me in both of those places. Safi, I'll throw mine in the chat. That's my Twitter handle, and that's my full name for for LinkedIn. This is Michelle said. Michelle and I are actually both very big on Twitter. I were probably the uh, the prop tech enthusiasts on Twitter. Um, yeah, awesome, and uh, happy to engage with any of you all. If you have any follow up questions, I know we went very broad um, across across this panel. So happy to to dive in deeper on any of the categories or questions that you may have separately. And Diana? Yeah, for me, uh, super active on LinkedIn. I do have a Twitter. I do check it. Probably much less active than Safi or, or Michelle, but or, or Michelle, but I'll, I'll put it in there too. So happy to connect um, on on any of the platforms. Yeah, a little insider baseball. The VC Twitterverse is a, is an interesting place to be. So if you ever want to know what's going on in the VC world, go on Twitter and follow them. Uh, there's a lot of people active on that. Um, but as we wrap up. Appreciate everybody's time. Uh, feel free to connect with everybody on LinkedIn and um, please sign up for Cornet. I mean, it's a great, great community. A lot of end users, a lot of uh, service providers, and I, there's a lot of value in it. So uh, feel free to reach out to Brigitte if you want to be a prop tech committee or anything else. But um, have a great Tuesday, uh, Tuesday and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank, Thank you. Everybody. you.